Robert Green and Anthony Johnson, his running backs, but he's not in it for a run now. He's going deep down the middle. Conway intercepted. Willie Williams back to the Pittsburgh 38-yard line. This is in the hands of Conway. Out of his, I mean, he should make the catch. Jared Kramer, he drops back, they go to a seven-step drop, something they very seldom do. They get the split, see the wind, move the ball a little. Curtis Conway not able to pull it in with both hands. Right here you see he gets one-on-one -on -one with Willie Williams, and Eric Kramer makes a good throw. Curtis Conway sees Myron Bell coming across, pulls off that ball just a little. It's not Kramer's fault, but his third interception after only throwing four in eight games. That's the ninth turnover of the game. Five turnovers committed by Chicago. Four. Welcome back to another exciting edition of the Pointless Exercise podcast. It's time to remember this crap with Mike Donahue, and now we're going to remember crap about the Bears and the Pittsburgh Steelers. So, Mike, how are you? I'm uh, I'm almost, I, my breath is being taken away just staring at um, football reference and, and just looking at the colossal ineptitude that was actually hard to believe, but true, about 40 consecutive years of Steeler football. And I don't think, uh, you know, that, that becomes readily apparent to anybody. So I hope we can, uh, kind of go into that cause it's pretty bad. Uh, but other than that, I'm doing good. Andy and yeah, the bears and Steelers are playing, uh, the 2021 version. It hasn't been a lot of fun for each team independent of one another in the last 40 years when they've played each other. I think the bears have done all right, but, um, I don't know. It's an interesting well, it's team, interesting franchise to, to go over. Yeah, it's weird because they've played, what is that? i got to do math here. 27 times. Yep. Ever. And it dates all the way back to 1934, back when the Steelers the, were the Pirates. And the, and they were in their second year. I didn't know they were the Pirates, but 33 is the first year. So the Steelers are not, as a point of fact, they're not a charter franchise that which would be a team that goes back to the showroom in Canton in 1920, George Hallis among them. So for years, I kind of had assumed Pittsburgh was one of those teams. Uh, Art Rooney was there, but he wasn't. Uh, but they basically, they did join the league in the first of the first year of what we can call the championship era, right? 1933. Cause that's, you know, we don't, we don't really, we talked about this before. We don't count those mythical championships that the Packers won in the twenties and, and whatnot and so that they, they were i don't know expansion whatever but they and they needed some help to stay alive but they were absolutely fucking terrible they were the st louis browns of the first half uh of the 20th century yeah they were uh, from 33 onward they were the worst team in football you know if you go 90 years which is what comprises the history of the league in that championship era, basically from 1933 to today, I would say that the year in and year out on average, 
factoring everything in that the, the the worst franchise in the history of that NFL that that 90 year uh, championship era window would be the the Cardinals uh, who we're going to get a chance to maybe dissect that in a few weeks when the Bears play the third iteration of the Cardinals began in Chicago. Interestingly enough, though, if you were to break it down and say as bad as, as the Cardinals were, you would say, all right, for let's just say the last 50 years, who uh, who has been, because now you have all the teams that are still extant that are all in the league, plus some expansion teams. Um, but really, what franchise has been the most miserable for the last 50 years? The Bears. Uh, unfortunately, no, the, no the, Bear, the Bears wouldn't even be, it is the Lions. The Bears wouldn't even be like fifth or sixth, right. which is just astounding. It's truly astounding. So that 50-year window, say, going back to when our, our lifetime, since we were born, we're almost 50. So let's say 1971, if you go the 45 or so years, the 45 or the 40, 40 years before that, the unquestionable easy almost more clearly than it would be the Lions for the subsequent 50 but the worst franchise in the nfl year in and year out would be your pittsburgh steelers from 1933 to 1970 just atrocious just me just bad pathetic sad uh woeful say what you will yeah they they didn't have a winning season until their 14th season in the league they only made postseason whatever that was well they did have a winning season in 42 i, I you may have overlooked that oh I sorry had, only had, it was i was gonna say uh one of the, i mean they went look they were, they were under yeah, they 500 one in their first 14 years they were, they were under 500 the first three years and then they were 500 and then they did five straight years under 500 before their first above and you know in 42 their 39th season as a football team, they made their second playoff appearance. Uh-huh. Congratulations. Yeah, in four decades. And it just coincided with it, it kind of – things kind of turned at that point. What I, what I like to – before we even bring that up to uh, the Super Bowl era, because it, you can pretty much break this down into Super Bowl era and then pre-Super Bowl championship era, and the Steelers are two different franchises. We know all about the, moder- the, the, the Super Bowl era one, and we'll discuss it. Um, but I, you know, I like to drill down a little bit when I see something that, um, you know, that reflects poorly on a team that, you know, has had so much recent success, you know, not that we're going to put them in their place, but in those 39 seasons, the Steelers never played in an NFL championship. Every other team that had been extant and those, they, they had some teams that, you know, the pirates became the Steelers, but there were like other teams that came and went like the, the, the Boston Yanks and, hmm. Uh, and whatnot, the, the war years were tough, and it almost threatened the Steeler franchise because in 43, they had to um, merge with the other team in Pennsylvania, and they had the Pennsylvania Steagles. The NFL Ugh. was really having a tough time surviving. And then the Eagles told Pittsburgh to go pound sand in the next season, 44, and they actually connected with the weak sister in Chicago, the Cardinals, and they were uh, some weird sort of combined. Because if you look at the football reference, it goes from 42 to 45. There are different entries for the Philadelphia Pittsburgh team. Um, I mean, this is just adding, just like a, like like cold dust over the Allegheny Mountains. This is just sort of adding to the dreariness of this Pittsburgh franchise. But in 47, which is that I believe what the the second ever uh, 500 season yep. at this point, four or five in 15 seasons, they do break through, but they have to play a rare divisional game. Because normally, then uh, you know, in the in the pre Super Bowl era, you win your division, you play in the championship game. The Bears themselves won a 
divisional game, an impromptu divisional game, and lost one. There were a few, uh, and this year the the Steelers uh, found themselves in a tussle with that those aforementioned state rivals, Eagles. They not only lost, but they got shut out. Okay, and I bring that up because if you fast forward to that other playoff game that you brought up, Andy, which would only be their second in their history. I mean that that's that's far like exceeds any like modern cardinal you know futility, one meek playoff appearance in a eighteen league, uh, in 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 forty years, and then they make it back for their next playoff game against the Raiders, oh, yeah. which is a, a incredibly memorable iconic game, and it's remembered for this play, the final play of the game, which of course has been known as the immaculate conception, freaky. Uh, deflection off of Frenchie Fuqua into the hands of Franco Harris, who runs it in. Did you know, Andy, that that was the only uh, first and only touchdown of the game scored by the Steelers? They won seven to six or thirteen to seven. I believe that was the final. Uh, it's so, the, in other words, it's the immaculate reception. Not the immaculate. What did I call conception. it? The immaculate conception. And that did would I call be it a, the immaculate conception. You did. That would be a well. Uh, I, I might be speaking for a lot of excited fans in the yeah, Pittsburgh sure area. Was, in, in seventy-one. Yeah, I'm sure People stuff be, was flowing, but about our about our age, in fact, because that was the, I called it dimly conception. No, I apologize, but that game, that touchdown, not only did it propel the franchise, uh, it's symbolic, but that was the, that was the first fucking touchdown that they had ever scored in at that point forty years of first playoff touchdown. Yeah, and it's so. Should not have counted. Correct. Ball hit the ball hit the turf. Franco scooped it up. And well, I think what it, it was in. was well, I think oh, there's, it's a, not, some there's a ruling rule about, about if Franchi touched the ball before Jack Tatum. The yes, which meant then that no other Steeler would have been eligible to touch the ball. Which is some weird. That's not yes. a thing anymore. Balls can bounce off anybody now, and you can catch them. But that was a rule. That was and so the rule. Steelers thought, or the Raiders thought, they had an argument two ways. But then the so John Madden had a long rant about this. The refs actually left the field. They got on the phone with somebody in New York, where they were clearly watching replays on NBC. Okay. Came back and said it was legal, and so Madden always said, you know. Instant replay didn't start in 1980, whatever. It started in 1972, and we got fucked by it. Good point. And, of course, Al yeah. was having his normal legal problems with the Our NFL, and so he's pretty sure that Pete Rozelle is like, nah, fuck the Raiders. Call it, <laughs> call it, you call it a touchdown, leave it a touchdown. <laughs> Al Davis and John Madden are sure that the guy on the other end of the phone with the ref was Pete Rozelle. Oh. Not some rules. And, Ma- and Madden is calling to get a rules clarification. No, 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 no. Well, right. No. At some it, point, it, the commissioner went, "You got it right. Just go. You're fine." Yeah. Wow. If it had gone all the way up there, that was the rule. Supposedly, if the offensive player touches the ball first, and then it cannot be the ball cannot be advanced. I think. Uh, so their argument was that legendary, you know, assassin Jack Jack Tatum hit the ball first, which, you know. Yeah, the replays know. are a little. A little uh, sketchy. Have so, you ever been to the Pittsburgh airport? I have. I've flown in and out of have there. Have you ever fr- seen the Franco fr- statue where he's scooping the ball off the turf? I do believe I have. Pretty nice forgotten it. Statue. Yeah. Unlike their state brothers in Pennsylvania that have a statue of Rocky Balboa. <laughs> 
not you know actual Rocky Balboa. Yes, There's... which they had to move. They had to move. I him. saw it. They had to move him to the art museum. He can't be on the steps of the whatever the real building was. He can still the, run up the stairs if you want, but uh, Rocky's not there. Or the library, I forget. I took a picture of it somewhere, but so. But well, you I'm know, sure it, there's Blues Brothers statues, and actually, there's a on Navy right. Pier. There's a really cool Bob Newhart statue, the one where he, you can sit next to him. You can sit on the couch. Yeah, I did see that. I, not in person, but I've seen that. Also, I believe in uh, in downtown Minneapolis, there's a Mary Tyler Moore. Milwaukee famously has uh, Arthur Fonzarelli, and it's called the Bronze Fonz. I've seen that. It's creepy. It's That's a, a creepy statue. Well, why did they bronze it? Like at least with Rocky Balboa, well, they, they bronzed um, they bronzed the uh, the Newhart one, right? Or because uh, the the Balboa one is kind of life. It's more of a closer to like a Madame Tussauds. It's like a well, it's like a the wax. statue from the movie. Which which what it's is a prop the... from the movie? This I guess Rocky Two maybe the statues in it, and that's what okay. it is. They didn't have to pay for it. The movie. It's an actual. It's the actual statue from the yeah, movie. I'm it, it's positive. hardly an, there's people right, yelling hardly, at their podcasts right now, going, "That's not what it is." But I'm I know. Sure that's... <laughs> it's, well, it's hardly an impressive work, and I I, I prefer the narrative that it's uh, some revered uh, <laughs> work of uh, I don't I don't know what, but yeah, I you know you mentioned the the, the Franco statue in the Pittsburgh airport. Now I come to think, of, I do remember seeing that now, and it was it was, it was nuts. It is sort of symbolic because, like we just described, that franchise was dog shit and unparalleled uh, in unparalleled terms until then. And during that time, you know, of course, we've mentioned that the Bears' real golden era was the '40s. Uh, they didn't get to play each other every year, but when they did, um, the Bears never lost. Right? The Bears won every matchup from 1934 until 1958. 58. So one of the rare decent Steeler teams, maybe, because I think that was one of their 500. Uh... It was 24 to 10. Then the Bears won the next one, and then they tied. Steelers won, the Bears won twice. So Bears, have won. Uh, Bears are on a three-game winning streak. We have to uh, revisit. I know this is remember the – they are on a three-game winning streak. I know this is remember this crap where we, we shoot from the hip and – uh, and, and re, you know, dig into things that we personally re- recall seeing. But, you know, we've also we've had the ability to synthesize a lot of history and put it in perspective. And, of course, you mentioned you kind of went over the tie game uh, earlier in their history. But if we stop for a minute and jump back to that particular tie game, it's probably have you know, I would imagine if there were any other memorable games in the Bears Steelers rivalry it would have to be the one in 1963. Yeah which uh, happened on, would have been November 25th, 1963, which would have been three days after the uh, assassin, assassination of uh, John F. Kennedy. Well, that's the only reason the Bears tied. Well, there's a whole NFL clips where, well, the, so this is, I'll just go a little bit further because I don't know if, if it's ringing a bell with you, but it, we sort of, I remember being exposed to this game because 63, of course, was George Hallis's last championship with the Bears. It was their first championship that they would win in 17 years. It had been a, a long time. Um, and uh, they, the 63 team 
down the stretch, needed at least a tie in Pittsburgh, and they were down late with something like two minutes to go when a young third-year tight end by the name of a local, a local boy, I should add, uh, Michael Keller Ditka, uh, caught a pass from quarterback Bill Wade and managed to run through and over about nine maybe even more than 11 uh, different Steelers. I think it's possible some guys uh, kind of peeled themselves off the ground, came back to try to drag them down, and did good, got them all the way into scoring range. Bears were happy to take the tie because the position that they were in uh, that was acceptable, and they you know went on to win the NFL championship. So, Mike Ditka, seven catches for 146 yards. 63 wow. was the long. Bo Farrington. Six- Caught two passes for 82 yards. The immortal Bo Farrington. Correct. Johnny Morris, three for three. Our, our guy on his way to becoming the all-time Bears record holder in receiving yards. So um, this is that, that's a hell of a game, 1963 for a tight end. So there was no overtime, right? You got to the no end overtime. And, okay. Yep. Yep. The 1963 Pittsburgh Steelers were seven, four, and three. They tied three of their last four games. An uncharacteristically not awful Steelers team. Well, helps probably could have used probably could have used that game. Yeah, but if there was overtime, they probably would have been seven and seven. So, um, I don't know how many times they played between '63 and '69, but '69 is a noteworthy game. They played um, they once. Took, Steelers beat them forty-one thirteen in '67. Okay, well, both teams. Still sucked. I don't even think me and Joe Green had arrived in Pittsburgh. I'm pretty sure he hadn't. In fact, there's no way he had. I don't even know who was the first legendary Steeler to f- arrive. But in 69, I'm sure Green was there. But in that game, um, I believe the Bears won, right? It was they did. the Bears' only victory. to 7. Right. It was the Bears' only victory of the season. It was 38 to 7, huh? For yep. some reason, I thought it, would, it was 38 to 9. They took it out on uh, the Steelers. And the Steelers and the Bears both have, uh, finished with the same record. And um, oh yeah, I know where this is. They going. yeah. And so uh, in order to determine who would, I believe this is the story, unless it's apocryphal. So I don't. I've always accepted this, and it's occurred to me that I don't know if I've ever really taken a deep dive to see how accurate it is. But I believe it's as simple as the fact that they have the same record, and uh, the tiebreaker was right to a coin flip, which the Bears lost. And uh, with which the Bears drafted Terry Bradshaw. I don't know if the Bears would have drafted Terry Bradshaw, but Steelers did. Who did the Bears draft? Uh, David Greenwood. <laughs> I don't even know. It's probably got, it's got to be a trivia when they, question. When they right? lost the coin toss for Magic Johnson, they took him. Did when they, they trade lost it or something? I you know I, I remember seeing there was an article about that the whole thing. Uh, and of course they, it was an NFL AFL draft. They hadn't merged, but the agreement was in place. Uh, and the bears must've traded it. Cause they didn't No, I'm sorry. I'm looking at the wrong. Uh, it must've been the 70 draft. Obviously OJ was the first pick in the 69 draft. They tra- it was they, the yeah. They trade. Oh, they traded it to the Packers for leases for a guy. Who didn't have any kind of a career Mike coming out of Notre Dame. They passed up on Mike Phipps. <laughs> no, but they would write that wrong. Yes, they would. We'll go get them. They could have had AC, damn it. Al Collins went to the Bills at five. I had no idea Al Collins was a freaking lottery. He was a f- fifth pick in the draft, huh? Wow. How about that? Oh, I clicked. I was hoping it would show what the trade was. When did the Bears, did the Bears, did they just not pick in that draft? 
Ever. I, maybe they're so deflated that they didn't pick oh. in. They didn't pick yeah, in the second round. Who did they pick? It? So yeah, I think there's Hallis was. I like, do know. Fuck it. I do know that Ed McCaskey was blamed too because the Bears were able to call the the, the coin. So I, I like that narrative. Bears didn't have picked to the third round. They took George Farmer from UCLA. Now, oh. Lynn Larson in the fourth round from uh, Kansas State. <laughs> Ross Bruppbacher. B-R-U-P-B-A-C-H-E-R. I know that. You know their name or no? From Texas A&M. Okay. Bob Cutberth, quarterback from Oklahoma State. That's who they got instead of Terry. They did fine. Yeah, and meanwhile. Jeff from Florida State. Well, that now it raises the question, uh, like, who else besides Bradshaw? Because, like, so that, you know, I guess I, I didn't intentionally uh, in my head link any kind of a, a Bears connection to the, te- the to the Steelers turning it around so much as the immaculate reception. But when you if you do follow it, where, hey, the Bears could have just lost that game at Rigby Field and then there wouldn't have been needed. A, but then, of course, butterfly flaps its wings. It's not as I don't know. If, I think it would have affected Pittsburgh more than the Bears. I don't think it would have. I don't think. Terry Bradshaw was all that the Bears needed. There was other forces How about at work. In the twelfth round, the Bears took a future NFL head coach. Was it Jerry Glanville? It was Butch Davis. Wow! How about that? Yeah. Yesterday was uh, Mike Brown Day, returning the interception against Cleveland, and then you can see a Butch Davis sort of turning around on the sidelines. No idea he was a. How many picks did they have? Uh, they had their 17th round pick was Joe Brunson from Furman. That was great. I mean, do, I wonder how do, does anybody survive in the league beyond the 14th round? Why even? You're just. I guess they were more dispensable then, and they could stockpile more bot practice. It had to be. It was somehow they decided it was cheaper than signing free agents. <laughs> Look into that. Okay, so. Let's say the Bears take Terry Bradshaw. Given how bad he was early in his Steelers career, okay, would would we know who Terry Bradshaw is had the Bears won that coin toss? And do, do we know the Bears would have taken him, or is that just the narrative? And that they're so discouraged that they traded away their... Well, who'd they I don't have? know. Well, let's see. I, I, well, they had... They, they didn't have set. shit. They were setting. Uh, Jack and Cannon was it? Uh, Bobby yeah. Douglas. Bobby Douglas. Yeah, it's Bobby Douglas. I'm surprised. Honestly, I don't know why the Steelers took him. Their quarterback was Dick Shiner. <laughs> when you got a Dick Shiner on yeah. your bench, why would you? Why would you want to replace Dick Shiner? He was a, and Terry Hanratty was his backup. Uh, I believe he was a Notre Dameer, and he, he would was. be. I believe he was uh, Bradshaw's longtime backup. I or then there's also Cliff Stout. There might have been two eras. I mean, you know, Bradshaw had a career that until Brady was almost unrivaled. It was maybe equaled by, by Montana and uh, I guess maybe Unitas. And I mean, he was he's up there. I think the but, real question that we need to ask, if we answer nothing else in this podcast, if Terry comes to the Bears, um, does he get to does he get to act with Burt Reynolds and Hooper? <laughs> 
So do you remember the scene, the Terry Bradshaw scene and Hooper, Hooper, he, and Hooper, I, Hooper is, I can't, Hooper is I can't one of my remember. favorite Burt Reynolds movies. He You're plays crazy. a stuntman. I can't even remember Hooper. He plays a stuntman I mean, and it's directed by, and I, I used to remember the guy's name. It's directed by a famous former stuntman who did direct other movies. And Terry plays, um, the whole thing is Jan Michael Vincent is the, is the up and coming hotshot Stuntman. He's going to start taking Burt's. Burt's the aging the mo- stuntman. The movie's about stuntman. It's directed yes. by a stuntman. Yes. Okay. I'm liking and, where this uh, is going. So, so it's got a lot of roadhouse there's, energy. Yeah. There's car- and yes. And there's actually, there's this, there's a fist fight in a, in a roadhouse and Terry Bradshaw gets punched right in the mouth and it doesn't stagger him a bit. Instead, he just opens his mouth and he pulls his front tooth out. That's all I remember about Terry Bradshaw and Hooper. He was so tough. That he got punched in the face, yeah. and he just took his front tooth out. Wow. He must have been loving his agent for that one. How would you compare uh, Bradshaw's performance in that uh, with Brett Favre's and There's Something About Mary? Oh, fuck. Uh, Terry is like Lawrence Olivier compared to... Okay, next question. How would you compare Brett Favre's uh, uh, appearance in There's Something About Mary with other athlete Roger Clemens's appearance in Kingpin? Uh, kick his ass, Seabass. You don't mow another man's lawn. You don't know Roger was. Man's Ro- that's a great performance. Roger was better. I to say it, but for for an athlete, Roger was actually acting. He was a hilarious Brett red was, ass. Uh, yeah, and Brett was just being Brett. And uh, Ben Stiller, the Brett Farvera thing, came from the fact that he Ben couldn't remember how to pronounce Farv. Like he knew it was Who, he knew it was weird, given how it was spelled. He couldn't remember. Then the he actor, Favara. And so they and and he they said it like joke. and they said no no do it that way and so when they did the scene he called him Brett Farbara and then he's like what are you doing in Miami he's like we're here to play the Dolphins dumbass that's like <laughs> Brett's one line and it was that's supposed true. to be somebody it was supposed to be Troy Aikman I think and they ended up with Farb instead well it came out ninety eight Aikman was certainly at his peak because he won Super it was Bowls something that was like logistical ninety three Farb ended up getting a- Aikman it. was ahead of Farb by a, few, a couple of years so I think that's right. Yeah. Yeah, Aikman would be the more obvious choice because of his looks, and he's a Cowboys quarterback. Fires the redneck from Kilm playing for a, you know, a redneck fan. Terry, I'm pretty sure, is also in Cannonball Run. I was going to say, I I don't think the Terry Bradshaw film canon ends with Hooper. No, it doesn't. And he was in, was was he in like Every Which Way But Lose? He's in a Matthew McConaughey movie with Kate Hudson. Yeah, he has an actual acting role. Yeah, that's a uh, uh, failure to launch. Yes. I believe so you see Terry's bare ass, which well, he I didn't out. know that. Wow, he, isn't he, he naked in a hot tub with uh, Kathy Bates? Never seen it, Pretty and sure. now I'm not so sure I want to. Pretty sure that's uh, I do recall the movie though, and I remember thinking he's actually got an actual acting role there. Yeah, he actually had like he was a he's the, he was the he was Kathy Bates's husband. He was Matthew McConaughey. He's dead, so it's funny now. Terry has become like the. Um, the kind of oafy clown guy on the on Fox stuff. When he first got into broadcasting, when him and Vern Lundquist were doing games, they were really good. Look up the, uh, I'm sure you have, but listeners, look up the Fog Bowl, which that's a broadcast crew that was really having to deal with some challenges. Not that it was a great broadcast, but, you know, that one jumps to mind. I know they did that game. So, thanks. You know, for a while, Terry had took it seriously <laughs> I, I never i never hated brad like i didn't actually I, yeah i've uh, always i've always liked terry he like i seems... liked I, I i don't hardly remember super bowl i guess it would be 13 but i feel like i'd be uh, rooting for the steelers over the cowboys um, well you know what movie he's in then he's in heaven movie? can wait 
Oh, that's right. Because the, the football scenes opposing, are from that Super Bowl. Right. We talked about that. He's the opposing quarterback yeah. to uh, whatever isn't, Warren Beatty's So isn't Vince is. Ferragamo basically playing that's, Warren Beatty? That's right. It was supposed to be Pat Hayden. Maybe Warren Beatty was supposed to be Dustin Hoffman. I don't know. but Do you uh, think they – Hayden got hurt, right? And that's why Ferragamo – Correct. He was, the, he was their do quarterback. Do you think that um, some one of the movie producers had Hayden – like paid somebody to take him out because Ferragamo looked a lot more like Warren Beatty. And it was going to make the editing right. easier under the helmet, right? Because they knew that somehow an unlikely Rams team would weave its way to the Super Bowl that year, yep. finally break through after, you know, losing out in the three-way battle that was them, the Cowboys, and the Vikings. But and in that period, if you were the Cowboys, the Vikings, or heaven forbid, the Rams, and you did break through. Uh, the odds were good that you would face the the aforementioned Pittsburgh Steelers, still kind of coming off only ten years removed from the stank of a four decade, uh, you know, period of abysmal uh, existence. They, uh, you know, they won them all after they beat the Bears in Wrigley Field in '69. Got Bradshaw, and you know, they got Franco and. Good old Rocky Blyer. I mean, they had like what five Hall of Famers on defense. What Mel Blount's Hall of Famer, Jack Ham, Jack Lambert, L.C. Greenwood, Joe, and then you know I, we talked about this offline, but of course, all none of those guys have had their number retired. There's only been one from the Steelers that have, and it's good old Mean Joe Green. Well, two, two ever, but one from that right. team. Right, I'm not right. You don't count counting sense. Ernie Stoutner. So Ernie Stout played in the aforementioned fucking medieval era, yeah. and he gets a number retired. Good old number seven. But like, you can't fucking retire. Jack Lambert's fifty-eight. Bradshaw's twelve for crying out loud. Yeah, for for some reason, I remember when I was like nine, my brother had gotten my brother was like eight, you know, a seventeen or eighteen. He had probably had some of his own cash, you know, buying some records down at the you know uh, the music store at Woodfield. He got me for Christmas a road Terry Bradshaw like just shirt. It wasn't a jersey. It was like you remember like back then they didn't have jerseys, but and it wasn't like an overpriced you know licensed thing, but it was like the colors of the Steelers road uh, uniform, and it was. It was a Bradshaw, so you know I wore the hell out of that mother. I mean, I already had a Peyton. So, do you think if the Bears had won four Super Bowls in six years, that they would have retired so many numbers that <laughs> guys would have to be like wearing triple digits now? They're like the anti-Bears, the Steelers. We've how many times have we discussed how the Bears have so many unnecessarily retired numbers in this day and age? Just... Good old number one twenty-seven, Justin Fields. Yeah, go to triple digits. It was all that was left. That's all Justin had to wear it. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, all those guys I mentioned were Hall of Famer. I don't know, L.C. Greenwood Hall of Famer or just in one of the more iconic uh, commercials of what was one of the more iconic commercial campaigns for Miller Lite? Um, and yeah, if you I don't know, know if you I've know lost what I'm talking track about, of which Steelers. Just Google Burt Seems Jones like they all made it. and L.C. Greenwood. Yeah, I, including Mel Blount. Like, members of the defensive line, of the linebackers, and of the secondary. And then there's Franco and Bradshaw. So, I guess they were due. Oh, and Mike Webster. Mike Webster. That's right. Uh, O-line. Jesus Christ. And Stallworth and Swan. Stallworth or is it Swan. just Swan? No, Stallworth. they're both in. Swan so, Stallworth. In. So, the truth is Stallworth, because we all kind of, I think – we're more familiar with Swan growing up, but Stallworth was the more productive receiver. I think Swan had, I know the iconic 
catch in Super Bowl ten, but I think Stallworth was probably the best. It's Swan's resume might be a little light, but he's a Hall of Famer. So, so Stallworth. Um, on Peyton Manning does these things called Peyton's Place. Peyton's places on ESPN Plus and others. Eli, they have Eli's places. He goes to colleges, but Peyton this is separate around. from the Monday Night thing. <laughs> yeah, he goes and does these stories on the history of the NFL, and the Lynn Swan one was was Lynn the one who had to jump over the car. He uh, caught a pass, right. and there was a car parked like right behind the end zone. It was like product placement. Is this recently <laughs> or in the eighties? Well, no, it happened during a game. And he had to jump up so he didn't crash into the car. And Peyton then gets him, they go back to the L.A. Coliseum and they park like there's a gremlin or something there. And they act like Lynn's going to jump over it at 60 years old or whatever. But I think he got, the the car served dual purpose. He was MVP of one of the Super Bowls. Mm-hmm. I think 10. And he got this shitty car. Like, he heard he won a car and he was all excited. And they actually had, like, they went and found the same make and model of the it was, I think it was a gremlin. Wow. And he's like, yeah, that's great. I was so excited. NFL is so low rent even then. Yeah. Um, the Bears actually never really, as bad as they were, and it's probably a good thing, never really crossed paths with the Steelers. Obviously, they weren't going to any Super Bowls. Yeah, they only played them once in the 70s, right? Yeah. And then, so I remember the 1980 game. Well, twice. It was 71. They only right. played them in their heyday once. They lost 34 to three. <laughs> and that was actually, that was the year that they won the Super Bowl. I think Pittsburgh did uh, 75, right? Yep. So in 80, uh, we, you know, 79 was a rare bears wild card playoff appearance. So we're stoked in the 1980 opening days, Chester Markle, and then the season's uneven. But when we still had hope, uh, we get to put it on the line in Pittsburgh. And I remember we had neighbors of ours that were also Bears season ticket holders. So sometimes we would walk, you know, go to the games together, Mr. Dickey. And they had apparently had a road trip uh, to Pittsburgh, which wasn't the most common thing then. But they were there uh, for this game. I remember watching it on TV. And here come the Bears. I don't know. It's kind of early in the season. I don't know what the record was going in. But they uh, they marched down the field and get a Bob Thomas field goal. And we're feeling pretty good about ourselves. Final score, 38-3. Yeah. Bears were uh, were one and two. Yeah, right. They it was they're getting off to a wobbly start. Steelers went to three and one. The Bears went to one and two. Now the Steelers were you know done with winning Super Bowls. I think Bradshaw would only maybe be on one or two more playoff teams. It was over even then, but they were still the Steelers and the Bears, the Neil Armstrong Bears. Were Terry still the Bears. was uh, twelve of nineteen for two hundred and seventeen yards and four touchdowns. Yeah. Cliff Stout yeah. got to mop up. Yeah. And Terry's padding those numbers. It's a need to do. Actually, it was an exciting matchup of quarterbacks from the 1970 draft. Wait. Cause... Oh, is this a Vince Fipsolini uh, note yes. game, by yes. the way? Yes. Right. A rare Fipsolini. Excellent. All uh, three of them got No, in. no, no. Sorry. Just Vince and Mike. No, uh, uh, no, no Bob. Bob. No Bob. No Bob. Okay. All right. Not a, not a Vince yeah. Fipsolini. But yeah, the big, the, I mean, it, it was a circle of the circle it on your calendar game because it was Mike Phipps and Terry Bradshaw. They were going to finally right. settle that 1970 the fir- draft. The first and third draft in the 1969 draft. Sorry, 1970 draft. Uh, Mike Phipps was our guy because he was the guy in the playoffs the year before. Mike Phipps, best quarterback ever uh, from Purdue. Uh, I can't think of yeah. another one. Not Jim Everett. Oh, of course, Drew. Right. Uh, yeah, I was well, being serious for a minute. I had to work. Face. I had to work. I had to work my way up. Would Jeff George count as a Purdue quarterback? Probably not. 
So they didn't play in 83 because the Bears were so bad that they were fell off of that every three-year uh, AFC team. And then, uh, But they played in 86 when the Bears, just a role reversal, six years later, the Bears are defending champs. Steelers come to town. This is a game I was at. It was similar to a Bears-Eagles game, the other Pennsylvania team. They always seem to come in pairs early in the year, which was Buddy Ryan's uh, return to Soldier Field. Both games went to overtime. Both games just involved an awesome Bears defense and another play I'm sure we'll get to who we've talked about before but we'll have to discuss it tonight uh but a game which the bears were not very inspiring on offense but won it on kevin butler field goal in overtime uh the play that i was hinting at would would be celebrated uh thanks to nbc uh play-by-play man charlie jones charlie jones to to this well i shouldn't say this day because my dad's been dead for 10 years but um until his dying day if you mentioned charlie jones his immediate response was the most powerful man in the nfl (laughs) <laughs> because that's what Ditka called him that in the press conference when he said, um, well, he's probably set it up what happened. Okay, yeah, 85. Uh, Lewis Lips is the receiver for Pittsburgh. He goes in motion. And I'm, I'm also sort of seeing if maybe uh, uh, maybe it's out there. But uh, the play starts, and Lips, I don't know if he's supposed to block Otis Wilson or what, but he, you know, I don't think Lewis Lips was much of a blocker. And he just does something like he kind of got curls up, uh, and um, don't worry, but, but so Wilson is kind of come trying to get through him, but makes this weird motion. And from like a certain angle, it looks like Wilson just like delivers, like, I don't know, like some sort of a karate chop. Uh, some violent blow to the to Lewis it Lips was, and, um, and Lips goes straight down. It was the f- ironically, if you want to picture what happened, I think if I remember this right, you have to think of a baseball game: Albert Bell and Fernando Vina. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah. So Lewis gets dropped like a sack of shit, and he looks like he's dead. And Charlie Jones goes off about what a vicious, malicious, dirty play it was, and Otis should be suspended. I don't know if he's supposed to be banned for life. I forget what Charlie said. And so then, and I don't think it, it, it couldn't have been in the post game because the reporters wouldn't have known what Charlie said. So the next, probably like on the Tuesday press conference, somebody asked yeah. about, you know, I so said Charlie said that uh, Otis should be suspended for that. And um, Ditke goes, oh, Charlie Jones, the most powerful man in the NFL? Little did Coach, no. Dad always remembered that. So three days later, uh, on December third, nineteen eighty-six, Otis Wilson was suspended by a game. Actually, maybe it could have been that Dick was actually responding after the suspension to the fact that he felt Charlie Jones got right. I think it was after. If it was after the game, he would have been like, "Who? Who the fuck's Charlie Jones?" Yeah, I don't care. Like we saw that we saw what happened. Lewis Lips is a weirdo. There's not a block, and he got mauled. So. Bears win that. Again, they don't play in 89, I don't think, right? Do the Bears and Steelers? The Bears did not. They played the AFC Central. Uh, I don't know. They must have played the Steelers in 89. I have they no did. recollection of it. And they won. All right. It doesn't matter. Bears didn't make the play. Actually, the Steelers did make the play last year. Okay, yeah, in your face, Chuck Knoll, yeah. who's still their coach at it this was point, the, by it the, was the It was the Lewis Lips revenge game. Yes. Nice. So that was a, the Bears team. That had to be early in the season because, as we know, they're not at some point. They're just not going to win another game. Uh, Ninety-two, though, noteworthy. The whole world uh, knew that it would be Mike Singletary's last game. 
you've made reference to the fact that as it was the truth that Mike Singletary Hall of Fame linebacker that he was, was not very proficient at making interceptions. I believe he picked a pass off in this game. Is that, yes. All right. Those hands were for tackling, not for catching. So what wasn't known about this game, they knew that it was Samurai's last game, uh, but much like five years later in Wrigley Field when we knew it was Ryan Sandberg's last game but not Harry Carey's, we did not know that it would be Mike Ditka's last game. Uh, so kind of that would be kind of close the air on that book. Bring it full circle, the Pittsburgh did we, native. Did we, we had to know it was a possibility, right? I don't know. I, I was still shocked when he got fired. I'm like, you got to be, until I actually heard the fucking press conference, I was working, I was chopping vegetables at the pistol. I remember Bobby put the radio on. He was a Packers fan. I'm just like, I did not believe it until it was said. So maybe, you know, talk about a meatball or Kool-Aid drinker. I don't know. That good really was that method. I know you're not questioning that, but I don't, it, maybe it just didn't occur to me because it was one bad season. He had one bad season in 89 and then they came right back, right? 90. You know, they won the division. It felt, though, like it was getting, yeah, it was one bad season. But if th- things were going off the rails. I oh, mean, they were in retrospect. Was, They're obvious. He was always shit-faced on the, on the 1030. <laughs> I don't know about so always, was, but when he was, it was memorable. It Absolutely. was always fun. But you're like, probably was how, long can the, how long can we go with this? Um, I wonder, but that I, I was don't know. prime. That was the date, the, the, the show they would show on Sunday mornings. That's the one that was always parodied with the, you know, the coach, I have the gout. Could you touch, you know, right. <laughs> could, you, could you touch oh, my the foot? The Mike Ditka show. Could right, you touch which was my foot before. for just a, you know. Right. Which was on before the game. Of course they have the, yeah, the Neil Armstrong show he before that. Drunk for that and one. the Jack party. Show. Well, they would record that apparently on a Wednesday yeah. and then they would show it on that uh, before NFL today. Yeah. So, the, uh, coach, I got, um, I got, I guess gout so bad my toes about to fall off. And uh, the, what do you think? Really we could, ha- uh, you think we should swing a trade for Bubby Brister? That really happened, or is that an SNL bit? It probably had. It could have happened. Having watched it was. The- it, it, I don't know. It, well, it was a. I think it was a Boers and McNeil bit. Um, <laughs> the, but it was. It was barely exact. Basically, it wasn't that. But it was the fans would ask these long-winded questions. Oh, I know. Basically, yeah. where they would just talk about how wonderful he was, and then they would throw in a question at the end. Yeah, which is right. uh, you know, right. what do you think about Alphonse? What do you think about uh, Alonzo Spellman? You know, right. right. What's the right temperature to uh, to marinate my uh, my kielbasas? Yeah. Uh, and also, do you think that uh, that the absence of Wilbur Marshall is going to really hurt us tonight? I think Ron Rivera is going to do all right. It was that was what it was. So. Yeah, it was. It was whether it was the Jack Pardee show or the Neil Armstrong show or the Mike Ditka show. And I think that continued in production to I mean, Ditka changed the game. So it probably became an hour program or something. But it was. Can you uh, imagine what the Matt Nagy show would be? It would have to be like 90 minutes long just to get be more, two of his answers. More boring again than like the than the, than the church services that the competing stations would have on at the time. Yeah. Maybe um, Robert Tilton could host the Matt Nagy show. He just combine them. <laughs> So ninety two is he even out of jail yet? Who? Jim Baker? He's going no, over remember, evangelist. Remember Benny Hinn. Do you remember him? No. Is he an evangelist? I don't know my yes, modern evangelist was. if that's yeah. where you're going. Uh you know, more of a Jimmy Swaggart, uh, Oral Roberts, uh Jerry Falwell era guy. But ninety two was Ditka's last season, and it was almost like his doppelganger in some level, but Bill Cowher's first season, which Quite a run for Chuck Dole. I believe I believe ninety two was Cowher's first season. 
Um, and the Bears and Packers uh, meet again, th- again, three years later in a game that, uh, I don't know, the more I think about it, the more I just sort of see this as like this sort of peak uh, wants that not just like how Dave. Well, I don't. I not, not peak in the sense that it it's da. It's just everything that enti- tells it is like literally the point in Dave Wanstead's career where things looked the brightest. You got the Bears, who in his second season he, he kind of surprisingly takes the playoffs after an original seven and nine season, and then in '95 trying to build on it, uh, they do go nine and seven. They you know they win their last game, and then we have to listen underneath the stands at Old Soldier Field listen, not watch, uh, to the Falcons knocking off the uh, 49ers, which put us out of the playoffs with a 9-7 and seven record. So if you were to say there's any one game, uh, and there were a few. There's a lot of close games that year, both against the Packers, uh, you know, the frustrating Bengals game. But if there's one game that they, you know, really should have had, uh, you go back a couple months to November of 95 when the Steelers come to town for a 3 o'clock start. Once again, I was fortunate enough to, or not so much, to be in attendance at this game. That's why I remember the 3 o'clock start. Um, and it's, I, I don't remember the details. I kind of looked it up on YouTube, like the last five minutes. My, my first thought was, you know, we talked about Kevin Butler a few weeks ago. And we talked about the Raiders and said, you know, if anybody should hate Kevin Butler, it's Wanstead because in two separate seasons, Butler's inability to make a, a field goal somewhat uh, led to the Bears missing the playoffs for the whole season. Not 100% true in that Raiders game. I mean, they did, it did come down to a game in week uh, 14 against Detroit. Um, they win that game, though, things would be different. Definitely in 95, and the way it goes down is it's kind of a back-and-forth game, kind of a high-scoring game. Uh, but the Bears have a seven-point lead, and I don't know how much time is left, three minutes or whatever, and they get down to about the 27-yard line and a uh, chance to put the game away. I should mention, because I did say it was where things looked the brightest for Dave Wonset. The Bears, by the way, 6-2 and two coming into this game. And I believe the Steelers, even though they're only a game out of first, were only like four and four or whatever. Uh, Butler, the chance to ice the game, misses the 44-yard field goal. Okay. Uh, Bears defense then sees Neil O'Donnell come down the field. And I, did you watch like that last drive? Like it was agony how they even had a fourth down in there. and But eventually tie the game. I don't know. Was it Ernie Mills or Yancey Thigpen that they uh, – It was Ernie tied. Mills. And then the Bears still have like 30 seconds. And this is the other thing. So I mentioned Butler's kick, painful. Ah, he had the game in the bag. You're going to go seven and two. They were already at least one game up on the Packers that year. Packers well, were still pre-Super Bowl. Yeah, so one of the things they did, and uh, the, is, the game was announced by Dick Enberg. Guy, our guy. And, um, then, and then not our guy. Phil Simms and Paul McGuire. Yeah, Paul McGuire's. And saying. so the Steelers score to make it 34-33, and Cower sends the offense out, or leaves the offense on the field, as if they're going to go for two. So Wani That's ca- right. Wani calls a timeout. To get the Bears to burn a timeout. Right. And then as soon as he calls the timeout, Cower sends the kicker out, because he never intended to go for two. Um, Would, I think that's, that's the sole reason Bill Cower's in the Hall of Fame, because he... Could be sucker Dave Wanstead out of a out timeout. of a timeout, but that left the the Bears had a minute six. It wouldn't have mattered though, even with the less time, because here's why. Here's the other play that, and when I looked it on replay, I got angry all over again. 
Um, and it just closed the door on any, if you had any, if you still had any hope for Curtis Conway, this would sort of extinguish it. This is a big game. And he's supposed to, at this point in his third year with some stuttering, some stops and starts, you know, let's, let's turn the corner. Eric Kramer is in the midst of what uh, up until this point has probably been an unprecedented passing season in Chicago bear franchise history. Uh, and so they have enough to, even with the timeout that, um, that Wani had to burn, that cower and his genius forced him to burn. Uh, they, the time didn't matter because uh, when the Bears got the ball with that much time, Kramer threw a beautiful, I don't know, 40-yard sort of a down and in amongst a couple defenders, but right where two defenders. It was right around the coming from the, Yeah, one coming from the other direction. And if you look at the – and we talked about I remember seeing at the time it was all the talk of sports radio the next day and in the offices when we had – the actual water cooler conversations was I remember like the term alligator arms was very prevalent the next day because Conway would, if he catches the ball, the bears are going to be in field goal range. They're going to win the game. He sort of recoils. Like you mentioned off the air, kind of like TO against Erlacher in 2001, which had disastrous consequences for San Fran. So, you know, it happens to TO too. Maybe I'm being hard hard on Conway, but I should have caught Even if, he gets decimated. He, he wasn't going to. I guess he doesn't know that as he's diving. But yeah. he should have caught it. Ball hit him in both hands. Yep. Yep. And, and he then, catches it there at the 20, and then Butler can come out and miss another field goal. Instead, not only does he not catch it, he knocks it up in the air. Yeah, and he gets intercepted. And it comes in. Now, that doesn't matter because Pittsburgh doesn't take advantage. The interception part. Just well, it almost mattered. The great Neil O'Donnell oh, that's right. gets that's right. them right he, down he, the field, and they're at about the, they're just outside the 30. And um, Norm Johnson is going to kick, going to kick the game-winning field goal. But yeah. Cower is like, no, Norm, he won't make that. And he instead yeah. they do a, uh, they chuck one into the end zone on the final play. And it's incomplete. It goes to overtime. Right. So yeah, C- yeah, Curtis almost lost the game immediately. By and then and then an his... overtime, I, which I had forgotten, but I, I watched through a little bit of overtime uh, that he dropped another. Uh, well, the Bears won the toss. Yeah, and he, uh, I don't know if it was first, second, third down, another pass that it wasn't because he was afraid of getting hit. He just didn't pull it in. It wasn't a great pass, but it was a tough pass to begin with. So it's kind of ironic that the Bears won the toss in a game when, as we're watching it, we wanted them to have the ball. I mean, they yeah. Scored, it's a, they already scored 34 points. They were moving the ball up and down the field. It's like, good, give us the ball. We'll go at least kick a field goal. We're going to win the game. Well, they get the at ball. One they point, do nothing. Listen, listen to this Bears fan, because this game was around this time of the season, right? It's it's week nine, right? We just established that. I don't know if you've got the game up, but I'm sure you'll have the 5th. date if you do. November 5th. So literally, holy shit, literally uh, 27, 26 years ago tomorrow, I guess, right? Is or that today, right? whenever you hear this. Yes. No, tomorrow. All right. Whenever we finish. Um. Yeah, no, November. It's it's that. Yeah, we're in that point of the season. I just uh, kind of lost my train of thought there. Just uh, uh, well, they were going on and on about the wind on the broadcast. Yeah, they wouldn't shut up about the wind. Which, like I said, I was at this game. I remember meeting up with my brother on the north side. We drove down. I've been to plenty of games. I remember plenty of games where I fr- froze even when I was prepared for it. Uh, I was not cold, so I think that was just a Paul McGuire kind of, uh, you know, ki- kind of pushing that narrative. It is, um, uh, it is funny to to sort of consider that Wanstat was, you know, I, I mean, they would have been maybe two games up on the Packers or something like that. Might not have mattered. They would have made the playoffs that year. They won the game. Meanwhile, not that Cleveland was out of it, but their record wasn't that good. 
but I don't know what the rest of their season went like other than they went to the Super Bowl. So without looking at their schedule, I sort of, uh, you know, sort of imagine that 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 game probably turned their season around. Similarly. And they went 11 and 5. Lost the Super Bowl to the Cowboys in the Larry Brown game. Which was, of course, the first Super Bowl loss in uh, in Steelers franchise history. And then I don't know how they didn't go to the back to the Super Bowl the next year because Mike Tomzak played the most uh, snaps at quarterback for them. He would do it again with with four Cordell years later. with Cordell on the bench. Really, as late as two thousand ninety nine. Tomzak was their leading passer in ninety six and ninety nine. They had some real doozies in there. It went Tom Zack, Cordell, Cordell, Tom Zack, Cordell, Cordell, Tommy Maddox, Tommy Maddox. Yeah, and then it's Maddox been Roethlisberger ever since. Well, no. Yeah, so Kyle Rudolph, the year Roethlisberger broke his whatever knee, yeah. hand, whatever it was. So that's a 10 year, that's a rare, in the Super Bowl era, that's what amounts to like a, a, a dark period for the Steelers, I guess. Beginning uh, with that Super Bowl loss. So they weren't that good. And Bears weren't going to go anywhere. You know, it's that was still Dallas, San Fran, and I don't know. I mean, Green Bay won it the next year. But, uh, yeah. Oh, so, yeah, just – I just – when I think about Conway, he, he hung around for a couple more years, and I don't know. He was Wanstatt's first pick. He just – I don't know. It's just – it's all kind of distilled in that game. It's he could like throw. Peak yes, he could. Maybe that should another, be, they should have had him throw that pass instead. Another one of those Southern Cal wideouts, right? Do you remember a couple of the others that were both in the Bears division also at the same Johnny time? Johnny Morton. From Detroit. And probably the biggest one. Actually, no, he wasn't in the Bears division one, but he eventually won a Super Bowl for a team that used to be in the Bears division, but was actually in their first year of being in the other, the new NFC South. Southern Cal wide receiver. For the Bucks. Yeah, right. Did he? Did uh, did he? Did Keyshawn? Oh yeah, that's right. Win a Super Bowl. Hey, so he wasn't a divisional. Yeah, maybe he got unceremoniously booted out of Tampa. Maybe before maybe Grudes got rid of him before they could win. Before he could win it. Huh. He 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 preceded Conway. I think Morton Morton made might have come after Conway. God, it's always fun to go over the Wanstead era Bears. No. Yeah, I don't know. He was Keyshawn was in Tampa from 2000 to 2003. Yeah, he won a ring with him. All right. Oh, one, right? No. What's the O2 season? O2 season. So it was the first O2. year they went to the NFC South because 2001 was the last year of. Uh, of pre-alignment, the Bears were in the old uh, NFC Central. Yep, there it was. And the Steelers were in the AFC Central. Which, uh, when they, the only thing I can recall about when the Bears and Steelers met again in '98 was grabbing a beer and watching the first series with Cordell Stewart, the Steelers, waiting for. Uh, who was, it was a girl I was dating. It was her brother. I was taken to the bleachers where, you know, Oleg and some of the others were saving seats on Beanie Baby Day and what would be the day that uh, 
Sosa hit a 61st. Oh, Gracie that's right, Great. which I've talked about at length in the Cubs cast. But and I may have even mentioned that I met up for a beer before the game to meet my uh, uh, my girlfriend's brother while the Bears were getting pummeled by, um, you know, it's by the Steelers. It it, it does illustrate uh, the frustration we felt that in 1998, Dave Wanstead was still around because. We, you know, we, we talk about that game in 95, it's peak, you know, Wanstead is at the, you know, he is at the summit and it goes, all goes bad from that point forward. They, even though they go nine and seven, they miss the playoffs, but he thinks that they can rally uh, the next year when he gets Brian Cox and all the pieces are in place and they knock off Dallas on Monday night, but that was all a mirage and that season ended in disappointment. And then 97 was a disaster and that should have been his last season and 98 also a disaster. And it's like, why is this guy still here? And obviously so that the Steelers of Cordell Stewart and Bill Cower can, uh, you know, give him one last ass kicking on the way out. In Wait, you mean the, the the Bears hung on to a coach too long, even when it was obvious that he was in over his head? I, it's, I've never seen that. It's happened. Yeah, they pulled the plug on Trustman, you got to say that. Yeah, well, because they were worried that the players were going to start beating him up. Uh, but in 97, the Bears lost their first seven games. And at this point, you're three years removed from the playoffs. Like, why would, why the hell did they bring him back? They, not that it mattered, you know. In comes Jerron. And I don't think they, so I don't think the Bears and Steelers faced an 0-1 because there were too many old AFC Central teams because now you had the Ravens and the and the new Browns. Um, yeah, they had a big gap. 98, they didn't play again until 5 and that was uh, was that game in the snow? That was when the Bears went to the playoffs. So it was a big game for you know, it was a bigger game for Pittsburgh because that was the year that they would finally Bill Coward finally win his Super Bowl. In what his fifteenth uh, season, finally wins the Super Bowl. Is that is that all it takes to get in the Hall of Fame? Is fifteen cracks at winning it all? One. I, mean, I could be wrong. I mean, in his fifth season, he did get to go to the Super Bowl and get shellacked for the first time uh, in Pittsburgh history. No, is this only 14? Only 14? Yeah, only 14 seasons. Oh. And then he coached one more. Because 92 was his first season. Sorry, not 91. He coached one more and then he retired. Oh, he did. He didn't retire after he basically just rode the bus to a Super Bowl? Nope. He was back for the next year. They finished 8-8, eight and eight, missed the playoffs, and then he retired. I didn't know that. All right, that's good to know. Another reason why I enjoy doing this, just to sometimes clear out the cobwebs because it was Bettis's last game in the Super Bowl. Maybe yes, I got that conflated. Right. He retired in his and that's, hometown, Detroit. Yeah, which nice story. I, I like Bettis because he was a Notre Dame guy, even though he fucking fumbled twice against Bill Walsh and Stanford in 92. Uh, he was, you know, he went pro. He was only well, Wasn't this the year pro. that he, when his last play ever have been, he fumbled in Indianapolis, right? A couple weeks earlier. And the guy scooped the ball up and Roethlisberger yeah. somehow but because, tripped but him. Because Peyton Manning and the Colts could not stop stepping on their dick before yep. they finally broke through against the Bears. Uh, Pittsburgh pulled that game out. That's right. I forgot about that. Yeah, I think yeah, it was Bettis' time. It was certainly not Manning's time. So, yeah, it, we you know, we've – Bill Cower, whatever. You know, he, he played the script. He You know, he's been present the media we all know that for 50 years beginning with i think maybe even with like ralph kiner who even though he had a lot of home runs was couldn't play defense but was a very steady presence in the mets booth and you know joe morgan made sure he was a first ballot hall of famer by by 
making himself present, and we discussed it. Didn't really work for Ron Sano, uh, but Bill Cower really somehow managed to glad enough hands and you know shake enough palms and however other awful metaphors you want to use to just basically elevate his Q factor and give him what you know. I know this is some people tire of Hall of Fame uh, discussions or arguments, but kind of ridiculous. I said it before. Bill Cower gets inducted to the Hall of Fame as a coach before Tom Flores. Yeah who a whole generation earlier had won twice as many Super Bowls. Yeah, he was 149-90-1. Not bad. It's good. Um, it c- carried the tradition from Noel, which had gotten tired a little bit. They made but the still playoffs not that great. his first six seasons. Then okay. they didn't make it for three. Then they made they it didn't for make two. it in that 90. All right, so he got a little bit of a, of a reprieve. Yeah, they went. He had a three-year, 98-99, they were 7-9, and 6-10. and 10. And he didn't lose his job. Then they were nine and seven, and then they went um, thirteen and three, ten and five, six and ten, fifteen and one, eleven and five, eight and eight. Yep. But he made two yeah. AFC Championship games and one Super Bowl. Or wait, wait, no, more. He had to make more, right? Because yeah. he lost he to the Chargers all, in '94. Oh, I guess that's right. They, you know, he puts AFC champions. So he he went to two Super Bowls. He won one. Um, right. It doesn't, it doesn't say how many title games they played in. Well, if it, if it ends if it ends at AFC uh, Championship, then no, it's at AFC Champions, which meant he lost the Super Bowl. Oh, I gotcha. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I reckon maybe three or four. I'd like so, to know. We he won the Lamar up. Hunt Trophy, the prestigious. He Lamar won it twice. He yes, won he won twice. it twice, and he won one Vince Lombardi he, Trophy. He, he never won, won the George Hallis Trophy. Lovey won. He did not. The NFC wouldn't have him. Uh, but that it, Lovey won it. But he did win, uh, yeah, he did win the uh, the Pittsburgh Paint Bowl in 05 that you talked about, where the Bears were on a roll that year. That that that, that was a test, and they, you know, they, it was Pittsburgh's year. But that was a, that was a fun Bears team. Uh, they just didn't have it against the uh, Steelers in December. But then in 09, uh, Cutler's Cutler's first, uh, you know, kind of showing us that he's a pretty good quarterback and. Believe it or not, I got to go to this game, which I don't usually get to see a lot of AFC teams more than once or twice through the years. But there's a third Steelers game I got to attend, and I remember how refreshing it was that the Bears engineered a late rally thanks to Jay Cutler throwing him down the field. And uh, they kind of surprised Pittsburgh. It was an otherwise dreary year for Cutler. Uh, well, not for Cutler, but for the Bears. Uh, Cutler actually probably – I think he played every game and racked up a lot of yards. Um, but that – that's what I remember that Pittsburgh game in 9 4. 10 unanswered points in the fourth quarter for the Bears. They yeah. tied it with um, 321 to go on a Johnny Knox seven yard touchdown pass from Jay, and then they won it on a Robbie Gold field goal with 15 seconds to go. It's even better than I remember. Yeah. Well, you know, how often does that happen for the Bears? I know it's probably happened. Vince Evans probably did that once, but I don't know. Uh, and Jay obviously was a disappointment. Didn't do that stuff nearly as often as we would have liked. Uh, he did it that day. And, you know, it, of course it's no longer the fighting cowers. Now, now we're into the only, what's only the third coach, Pittsburgh coach of our lifetime. Yeah. They've really kind of incredible. See. They've had three coaches in the last, how far back does Noel go? Did Noel beat them at Wrigley Field in 69? Is that, uh, I mean, I remember uh, 
was it the Dodgers with Walter Alston came on board like in 54 or 55 and then he managed through 75 and then Lasorda went another 20 years. It's kind of like that. Yep. Noel started in 69. So that was his first year. Okay. They've had three coaches in the last 52 years. That's incredible. That's How many again, quarterbacks have the Bears had? Well, no, I guess I'll probably hear that <laughs> on Monday. Not, I'm sure Monday night not, we'll hear all that. Let's not do that. That's not the direct comparison. It's usually it's the other team's quarterback. Uh, but yeah, let's just do in comparison to the to the three coaches. That's incredible. I mean, they probably had quadruple that in the forty years plus before that, or thirty whatever, thirty six. But it's a tale of two half centuries, basically. They had a historical correction in that second one. Um, and even though Dave Wanstead basically helped enable the, you know, the Bill Cower era that kind of kept the thing going but you know what roethlisberger he won one with cower and he won one with tomlin tomlin's also lost one he's one and one so Noel goes four and oh and the other two guys go one and one they've been eight super bowls so this the steelers had 14 coaches in their first 36 <laughs> years wow and they've had three in the last 52 52 yeah, they were changing. They had three coaches in one year once. So. I mean, it is it is it's a it's a history that I'd like to see. I'd love to see someone maybe put to some sort of a clever uh, narrative or, or just bring it to life somehow. You know, having to merge with the Eagles during the war, having to come to Chicago and merge with them, and sort of not existing for a while making one playoff game and losing to your your other opponent, by the way, at that point, Philadelphia had never played in a championship game either. Uh, and then they would ironically play and lose to the Cardinals for their only championship. But nevertheless, in that playoff game, the, the 47 Steelers, played, they don't even score a point. They don't score a point up until the immaculate reception. And uh, the rest has uh, been a pretty good gravy train for all those uh Pretty much, you know, there's a generation of Steelers fans that's dwindling that, you know, has memories of the olden times. But uh, that's a, you know, that's pretty, pretty top brand franchise these days, I guess. Good for you. You think with all that winning, they could afford to put a sticker on both sides of their helmet. (laughs) (sighs) Yep. Cutler beat him again in 13, right? And he did. I don't remember the Bears John Fox. Five turnovers. Yeah. Because nobody had much offense. Jay was 20 of 30 for 159 yards and a touchdown. And Matt Forte oh, led the Bears with uh, 87 yards rushing. Kind of surprised the defense was so effective. And it actually brings me to a point that I kind of lost the trail of when we're talking about that Bears Steelers game, um, you know, in 95, where that was a rare team. In our history, I never thought of it until I thought of it this week. We've talked about the 2013 Trustman team that was rare in the fact that it was otherwise a playoff team that was derailed by a shoddy defense. And I think you could probably say the same thing for the 95 team, which, again, not that you needed another indictment of defensive coach Dave Wanstatt, but that would be it. Uh, you know, I know it's anecdotal to talk about that Pittsburgh game you know broadcast by Dick Enberg and Phil Sims and Paul McGuire is, is evidence of – uh, how woeful the Bears defense was, but yeah, I mean, I know Neil O'Donnell went to the Super Bowl that year, but um, that you know that Bears defense, Alonzo Spellman was a disappointment. He had the the contract game when he got three sacks of Randy Pink, 
Pete in week 16 because of that, got a contract extension. He showed potential yeah. in one game. Many, so then he went wandering shirtless and shoeless through a snowstorm. Yeah. 1998 in March. Yeah. Um, in the 2013 game, the defense scored twice. Major right 38 yard interception return and Julius Peppers finished the scoring for the day with a 42 yard fumble return. Well, they did have peppers yep. still. Yeah, well, I, yeah, I it was 2013. Be... This would have been the. This was Tressman, right? Yeah, Tressman's first year. Yeah, but a, so that's kind of a, a unicorn. What you found there is a, a 2013 Bears victory. Um, you know, Mel Tucker, sort of coach of the, the defense. defense. Yeah, for one Michigan day. State it, head coach. That's probably the Mel Tucker game ball game. I'm sure it was. Probably. I think we became a team. Oh, wait, that was Ditka. Uh, yeah, that's ironic that the Bears, uh, well, I mean, they won the game in 13, so I guess it's not that ironic. But And I don't, and again, 2017 is the three-year John Fox window, which is 2015 to 17, and I will never offer. Brings us to the John Fox era, which I'm already uh, offered the disclaimer that I have nothing to offer for any year involving 19. 2015, 16, and 17, uh, because I was just checked out. So apparently the Bears and Steelers did meet in 2017. But, they uh, did. Week three. And, oh, Mike Glennon was the quarterback. That's right. It's pre-Mitch. Okay. And the Bears must have won because you they said did. we're riding a, a three-game winning streak. 23-17 okay. was the first win of the season. Glennon was 15 to 22 for 101 yards in a touchdown. Oh my God. Uh, wow. That's offensive genius. Jordan Maybe Howard ran 23 times for 140 yards. Tariq Cohen ran 12 times for 78. So this is uh, Matt Nagy's, what, third NFL game, huh? He did. Would he have no, been involved? If it was Glennon, it's Fox. I'm sorry. Duh, it's 20. It's I'm Fox's sorry. last 20, season. 20, 20, yeah, 20. Mitch is there, but he's a spectator. That's right. I got it conflated because Mitch was there, but it was not a Nagy team. It was a it was a disinterested at this point. I'm a, you can only imagine a disinterested John Fox just dreaming about floating in a pool somewhere. Yeah. I'm, Steelers I'm lost two fumbles, missed a field goal. Uh, Bears Bears fumbled right. five times, but only lost one. Wow, Steelers. Not not being able to grab a hold of the ball. I'm just assuming that the Steelers were always good in those years, but um, because Tomlin's been there forever. I mean, 2013 they didn't make the playoffs. 2017 they did. They went 13 and three. Wow! Yeah. So the Bears, the John Fox Bears of 2017, yeah. lame duck John Fox. Not that he wasn't the whole time, but they they, they handed uh, Pittsburgh one of only three losses that year. Yeah, we were doing Super Bowl after that. Maybe. Week. And then, Maybe. Uh, I don't know what happened after that. that. No, we did make the playoffs the next year. And, you know, Pittsburgh has, looks like they have fallen on hard times, and I understand that uh, they might not, you know, it could be a winnable game on Sunday. Still, They're still propping Roethlisberger up. Is he, he's got to be their all-time leader by now. I'm sure he passed. You know. Do they have any Johnny Morrises, or are they all updated? I mean, Franco's looking a little aged, but he was kind of an all-time runner, so it's fair to see him still be their all-time leading rusher, I guess. Yeah, they're, Rossberger is their all-time leading passer, 62,000 yards. Wow, that's like three cutlers. He's got 400 career touchdowns now. Heinz Ward, 
caught a thousand passes for the Steelers for twelve thousand eighty-three yards. He was mostly Roethlisberger, but he must have bled over. He's been gone a long time, so he had to have been. Uh, old Hines had to have maybe helped usher in a uh, a young quarterback from the MAC and uh, and Roethlisberger. Just like uh, Jerry Rice may have helped bring Steve Young along. I don't know. Yeah, he goes back to, well, 98. So he was having a deal with Cordell. Hines had some tough years in there. He's getting 1,000 yards, though, before Ben got there. But probably a pretty timely combination. I was checking to see if maybe Antoine Randall-L was their all-time leading passer, but he's not. <laughs> Would he have been a uh, leading passer in a particular season? Because I was curious about Heinz's war- Heinz Ward's 2002 breakout 1,300-yard season had me wondering who the Pittsburgh quarterback was because I know that Roethlisberger – actually, Roethlisberger didn't combine it all four, but it was Tommy Maddox, the aforementioned, yeah. who I believe that, that was kind of a rare playoff was that, that, yes, that Maddox was the year of the Tommy Maddox Kelly Holcomb shootout in the first round against the Browns, thirty six, thirty three. Yeah, and so Maddox was old by age, thirty one or kind of old. And then Tommy old got in for a shootout a with Steve McNair in the division round, but lost thirty four, thirty one to the Titans. Okay, and then the, and then the Titans would have gotten skunked by the Raiders, I guess, right? So two. Yep. Wow. Well. Yeah, I don't know. We might be looking at uh, Bears might have a hand, and uh, I mean, I don't know. I don't know what the what the scuttlebutt is in the in the Three Rivers area. But oh, about uh, Ben? Perhaps, no, about Mike, about the coach Ben. Oh, I mean, he's, Ben. It's just a matter of time. Tomlin's safe. Is he? Right, he's not going anywhere. Yeah, okay. he's going to get to develop the next quarterbacks. Well, he's kind of like uh, another cower, really, uh, at this point. I mean, it looked like he was going to be pretty good for a while. Different than Cower. Cower was like ordinary, took a team, bad team to the Super Bowl, and then eventually hung around long enough to win one. I think the Steelers uh, now get off. One early. They get off um, on their we don't that, fire coaches right, thing. Right, right, right. I, I could see that. And he was he won 12 games it, last year. It's it's probably something that they get really snooty about with any of the social affairs involving the Maras but, and the McCaskies. I mean, they're going to miss the playoffs this year, and that's going to be three out of the last four years. And yeah. then the other year they played that last year they made it, but they lost to the Browns in the first round. So Ooh, it's like, yeah, you that's can't like do that. not making it. That's part, that's part of the, the modern lore of Pittsburgh, man. They you haven't don't... won a playoff game since 2016. Yeah. All right. So that's, the, you're probably, you're probably reaching some gaps that hadn't been reached since uh, that sort of um, late Chuck Knoll era that we briefly went over uh, from the late eighties to early nineties. I mean, they're I not, that's all that it's competing with. So they're not as good as either Cleveland team now or either Ohio team. The Bengals and Browns are both better than them. Yeah. They can't, they can't be happy about that. That's a rarity. That just doesn't happen nowadays. Yeah. They had a, uh, they went th- actually it's pretty wild. Uh, Noel survived a four year playoff drought between 85 and 88 which he broke, I believe that was the Bobby Brister. Did you make a Bobby Brister reference today? But they, yeah. they, they, he, uh, they, he had an epic performance. I remember watching this game in '89, uh, a year in which the Bears were not in the playoffs. So I was maybe paying more attention to where Bobby Brister almost dethroned uh, Denver on the road. But they, that was Chuck Knoll's only, his final uh, coaching appearance, and the only one in his last seven seasons 
and Coward, to his credit, did take them to the playoffs the first uh, – I think you mentioned that. Did you not mention it? Six, first six times. Coward himself had a three-year gap. Uh, and Tomlin has survived two two-year gaps. So this would be his third two-year gap, two-year absence from the playoffs. And I don't know. So, I mean, like I said, Coward had a three-year absence, and that's the longest. Coward is pretty good at getting him in the playoffs. I'll say that. Still not Hall of Fame worthy. Um, because there are probably a lot of coaches that have a lot. I mean, friggin' Marvin Lewis took the Bengals to the playoffs every year. Yeah. So and uh, so Sunday, January seventh, nineteen ninety. Broncos beat the Steelers in the second round of the playoffs, twenty four twenty three. Okay. Um. Yeah. It was an unlikely Steelers team. Melvin Bratton ran for a touchdown in the late in the fourth quarter to. For the bread. <laughs> was he at University of Miami, Melvin yeah. Bread? Uh, Bubby uh, was 19 to 29, 229 yards and a touchdown. Uh, completed passes to uh, Lewis Lips, Mike Malarkey. So Lewis Lips was still around. Dwight that, that Stone was a revenge game. And okay. Ouija Thompson. I vaguely. Don't remember Ouija. Vaguely remember, but not hardly. Bubby so almost, that was... he only threw for 10 yards fewer than John Elway. Yeah, I remember that following that game. Pulling for him, you know, if you don't have an interest, sometimes you find yourself pulling for the underdog. That was their only playoff appearance, uh, like I said, in um, a three, four, five, in a seven-year period. That's easily their bleakest period, and it's only a seven-year period uh, in the Super Bowl era. One playoff appearance in seven years. Chuck Noll really was given some rope there at the end. So, this <laughs> I mean, is, so the next year they went nine and seven. And it says they finished first in the division, but they must have been tied because they didn't make the playoffs. Oh, that doesn't make sense. So there's no way. It could have been like a four-way tie because I think uh, the, the the Oilers made the playoffs and the Bengals. That was the that's the only three-way year, tie. We, that was the only year in which the Bengals have ever won a playoff game in a year in which they didn't win a Super didn't Bowl. A Super Bowl. We, we just we discovered that when we covered the Bengals. Um, so yeah, they came in first and missed the playoffs. How about that? It's odd. Yeah, so the, Dave the AFC Central was the the only division in f- nope the AFC the NFC West. There were two divisions, only had four teams, and they had a three way no, tie for first. No, you had three divisions. But there were three the divisions, AFC, but yeah, there the were Central, there were five teams in the AFC East, the, five in the yeah. West, five in the and NFC the, East, and five in the Central. Right, the NFC West, the AFC Central only had four teams. Were the stepchildren, which always threw off the scheduling, but yeah. And they s- still had a three-way tie for first. <laughs> and the Bengals and Oilers went to the playoffs and the Steelers went home. Well, you know, I know it's beneath their standard, but that's another first-place finish for Chuck Knoll. It says first of four on his coaching I mean, legend. technically not. He really finished third. Tiebreakers yeah. must have said he was third. Yeah, that seems disingenuous. Then to he went the first place. He team. went seven and nine the next year, and then he was gone. Yeah, yeah, that's a run. That's a twenty-year run. Which, you know, uh, Belichick's at twenty years. Noel, obviously, Hall of Famer, four for four, four Super Bowls, which had never been done before, and hadn't been equaled, I think, until Belichick, right? Because even though the 49ers won uh, four in a like a thirteen-year period, Seifert sort of uh, yeah. pilfered that last one. So I'm guessing that Nolan and Belichick are the only ones that have ever won four. Look it up, kids, if you really want to know. Sounds right to me. But Cower also gets in the Hall of Fame because he won one and he lost one. 
Now I know John Madden also only won one, but John Madden won a hundred fucking games in ten years, and they he that AFC the the AFC in in the seventies not as good as the NFC in the eighties, but pretty damn good. And amongst the Raiders, Steelers, and, and Dolphins knocking each other out, you know they were they were elite. It wasn't Cowers teams. I don't I wouldn't say the same thing. So, for the record. All right. Well, is that uh, we beaten the Steelers? So. <laughs> I think so. We even pulp. dug up the nineteen eight their their rare oddity nineteen eighty nine divisional playoff game. <laughs> their only, which was the bright spot in their otherwise only bleak seven year period. So I'm satisfied. All right. Um. So they're off next week, and then it's the Ravens. And we haven't done the Ravens, so we haven't. We've done next one. Baltimore tangentially because we did the Colts last year. Yep. I'm sure we'll revisit it. I don't think we're strangers to retelling stories, but you know, no. If it's if it's a good story, it's worth retelling. I'm sorry. All right. Well, good job. Yeah, you too. Until next time. I hope we've given you all enough crap to remember. Cheers. Many of us have herpes. 